So I know we have a lot to talk about tonight, so we should probably get to it, but I just wanted to bring up one real quick thing from last week. We were talking about reincarnation and Ryan Hammonds of Oklahoma, who was supposedly, allegedly the reincarnation of Marty Martin of Hollywood back in the 30s. Yeah. And he was talking about how he wanted to go back to his big white house with the pool and I was thinking that, well, it's probably a good thing that you don't remember your past lives because that would that would be a real drag to have lived a really great life. Yeah. <laughs> and then all of a sudden you're stuck in this real crappy life. Yeah. The other way around, it would be great. Yeah. I don't know if I'd be too upset, though. I guess depending how crappy. Well, what if, what if you were like a dog and you remembered your past life as a... <laughs> Can dogs even remember things like that? <laughs> Maybe, I don't know. Anyway, what do you have tonight? So tonight I have the strange disappearance and death of the Jameson family. I've never heard of this story before. Really? Yeah. I've heard of it a few times, but not much in detail until I researched it. On October 8th, 2009, 44-year-old Bobby Jameson and his 40-year-old wife, Sherilyn, 6-year-old daughter, Madison, and their dog, Maisie, loaded their pickup truck, headed into Oklahoma's San Boys Mountains, and were never seen alive again. Not the dog. I know. <laughs> we always care about <laughs> the animals. <laughs> like you said, they're so innocent. Yeah. <laughs> the Jamesons lived in the town of Eufaula, Oklahoma. They drove 30 miles to an area called Red Oak in the San Boys Mountain Range since Bobby and Sherilyn were thinking of buying a 40-acre plot of land and living in a storage shed that they already owned on the land. Bobby and Sherilyn visited an associate of the landowner. Once the meeting was done, the family went for a short walk for around 15 minutes, taking their GPS unit and found a quiet spot on the hillside. When they returned to their vehicle, they drove a little further and vanished with the truck locked in the middle of the dirt road. Sherilyn's son from a previous relationship, Colton, had seen her two weeks before the disappearance and commented that she made no mention of their plans to move to the Sandboys area. In 2003, Bobby was involved in a car accident that left him with a chronic back pain. Sherilyn suffered from bipolar disorder and was prescribed medication, but her condition was poorly controlled and she often experienced bouts of depression. The marriage appeared to have been in a bad state, but the family kept to themselves. Bobby and Sherilyn talked to a local pastor about their belief that there were dark spirits invading their home and possibly needing an exorcism performed. Madison started talking to an imaginary friend named Emily and Sherilyn believes that Emily was a malevolent entity. At one point, Bobby actually asked the pastor if he knew where he could purchase special bullets to shoot a handful of spirits he believed were living on the roof of the family's home. I'm starting to think that you just took the Amityville Horror and changed <laughs> the names. <laughs> were there a special... No, I didn't. Not the special bullets one, but the, the imaginary friend. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Lisa, from what I heard, it wasn't a pig, so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Bobby also planned on trying to exercise the spirits in the home with the help of a copy of the satanic Bible that he purchased. That just seems like you're asking for trouble. 
Yeah, uh, I was thinking, wonder. I've never seen those on Amazon, but I imagine they're they are there. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. One of Sherilyn's friends mentioned to the police that she would sometimes conduct seances with Sherilyn, though Sherilyn took them much more seriously than she did. Sherilyn had also written graffiti on their storage container that her black cats were being poisoned. She believed someone in the neighborhood killed her cats, and witches did not like it when their cats were killed. Family and friends did actually agree that the Jameson house was haunted, and a few have shared that they also experienced odd things inside the house. Sherilyn's best friend said, but in all seriousness, that house was haunted. I don't want to sound crazy, but whenever I went there, I felt a horrible presence. I would leave feeling so down and depressed. In July 2009, Sherilyn's ex-husband from her first marriage took custody of their son, Colton. In September, she was hospitalized following a failed suicide attempt. During the custody hearing, 12-year-old Colton stated that he would prefer to live with his dad. He had given a statement claiming his mother seemed very depressed and often acted strangely. I'm assuming there's more strangeness coming. This seems like another one of those cases. There's all these odd things that are going on. Yeah. That really put into question what the real story was. You know, you could think, oh, yeah, this happened. But then all these other odd things happened. So maybe it was this. And then, oh, no, but all these other things happened. It just makes it very confusing. and Yeah, it makes it hard to even guess what might have actually happened. Yeah. At first, neither their friends or family were concerned during the initial disappearance. Bobby and Sherilyn were known for falling off the radar from time to time, and Madison had already been pulled out of school. Saturday, October 17, 2009, hunters on dirt bikes discovered the Jamesons' abandoned truck in Latimer County, northwest of Red Oak, and called police to report the vehicle. The police first assumed the vehicle was stolen, as a report suggested the truck to only have been on the roadside for a few hours. Later that day, though, the same hunter called back to confirm that he had seen it abandoned for a number of days. It was an hour's drive from the Jamesons' home in Eufaula. The Jamison family was nowhere to be seen despite a large search of the area around the truck. So this is what I'm, the, what I'm talking about, and again, I'm assuming that there's even more strangeness coming, but the supernatural aspect, which was bizarre. Yeah. And then they're known to fall off the radar. Yeah. Which is bizarre for a family. It's just very concerning yeah. behavior and stuff like that. Yeah, and then they pulled their kid out of school. Yeah. Well, it's also interesting that it didn't seem like it raised any concerns to the family that Madison was pulled out of school. It was like they just nonchalantly said it. That's what it, it like came across as. Yeah, that's bizarre. The Latimer County Sheriff at first thought the truck had been stolen, but soon realized something far more serious had taken place. He set up a huge search operation to comb the area with over 400 volunteers, horses, mules, ATVs, 16 teams of cadaver dogs, and an unmanned drone. The cadaver dogs team repeatedly found a scent around a nearby water tower, which was drained. No evidence concerning the missing family was found. When police searched the truck, they found Bobby and Sherilyn's cell phones, $32,000 in cash, maps, a GPS, their wallets, and Sherilyn's purse. They also found the family's thirsty and malnourished dog. He was alive? Yes. That's also like the strange thing is leaving the dog behind. 
that's the strange thing. <laughs> well, but it, <laughs> I don't know. I guess it's just like, why would you take the dog with you? Right. Well, yeah, it, the strangeness keeps piling up, right? Yeah, everything's weird. Yeah. The vehicle was in working condition, had fuel, and had no evidence of being an accident. The $32,000 ended up being found underneath the driver's seat was puzzling since the family was on disability benefit at the time. Investigators found an 11-page hate letter in the truck that was from Sherilyn to Bobby. She said he didn't care about his daughter. She listed everything she hated about Bobby and even said he was a loner and hermit. She wrote that she wanted a divorce. How much weirdness can you get in one story? (laughs) I know. 11 pages. I'm trying to think of like, you must have a lot of hatred for 11 page letter. I wonder where they didn't say where they found it in the truck. Was it stashed somewhere or? Yeah, I didn't see that. I was wondering the same thing. Like, was it in her purse? Was it out in the open? It's bizarre. Yeah. Initially, there were no signs of struggle in either the vehicle or on the soft ground around the truck. No signs of blood and no broken glass, but trash was scattered around the truck. On November 16th, 2013, four years later, just 2.7 miles from where the truck was located, deer hunters discovered the skeletal remains of two adults and one child. They were in an extremely remote place in the Smokestack Hollow area of Panola Mountain. The three bodies were severely decomposed. The remains consisted of three skulls, a number of bones, and bone fragments, the victim's shoes, and some scraps of clothing. Eight months later, forensic testing confirmed the remains to be Bobby, Sherilyn, and Madison Jameson. People questioned why the initial searches failed to find anything before, despite the size of the search. Assistant Special Agent of the Oklahoma State Bureau of Investigation told reporters that falling leaves potentially obscured the bodies. The extensive decomposition that occurred in the four years since their disappearance allegedly made it impossible to determine the cause of death. Bobby's skull did have a small hole that was suspected to be a bullet wound, but police dropped it as not being a bullet wound, which the hunters who found the bodies disagreed. So the hunters felt that it was a bullet hole? Yes. Okay. Which is an interesting statement to hear that like the people who discovered the remains are completely disagreeing to what the police are saying. Yeah, just more bizarreness. Yeah. The local sheriff's department and FBI agents spent months chasing down leads and questioning potential suspects, but all leads came to a dead end. The sheriff said a lot of investigators would love to have as many leads as we do. The problem is they point in so many different directions. Police found surveillance footage from outside the Jameson's home. The video shows Bobby and Sherilyn walking back and forth around 20 times from their house to their truck, loading items in a zombie-like trance. Sometimes they weren't even carrying anything at all. They would even stop and stand with a vacant look on their faces. The odd behavior in the CCTV video suggests drugs being involved. The phone records of the cell phone found in the truck showed an outgoing call to voicemail during the time it would have been locked inside the abandoned truck So theories of what could have happened. So some people think that they may have decided to go for a quick hike in the woods and lost their way and dying from hypothermia. The problem is that the bodies were found lined up side by side with their faces down, making it appear execution style. They were found three miles from their truck and considering Bobby's back problems, it was unlikely he would have wanted to go for a hike that far. 
Another theory was murder-suicide. Sherilyn was known to own a 22 caliber pistol that she carried with her in the truck. The coroner did find a small hole in Bobby's skull that may have been from a bullet, but there was no evidence of gunshots on Sherilyn or Madison. The gun was never found, so if Sherilyn ever did use it to kill her family and then herself, why wasn't the gun located? The next theory is that the Jamesons were members of a satanic cult. Yeah, why not? (laughs) Sherilyn's mother claims her daughter, son-in-law, and granddaughter was on an Oklahoma cult hit list. She stated, quote, that part of Oklahoma is known for that, cults and stuff like that. From what I've been told and from what I've read, I was told that she was on a cult hit list, end quote. Sherilyn's mother never provided a name for the alleged cult, nor did the police ever find links to one. So the the family's not quite right either, the extended family. Yeah. Well, is it that or just the odd behaviors of the Jameson family? No, I mean, just to bring up the fact that uh, they're part of a cult, but not really having any evidence or proof or even any names or anything. Well, that's true. The next theory was that a drug deal went wrong. The area where the family lived, along with the area they were hoping to move in the San Boys Mountain, is well known for its drug activity. Bobby had recently reported someone in the area for running a meth lab. In their surveillance video of Bobby and Sherilyn packing their truck in a trance-like state, the two also looked thin and unwell. Drugs would also explain the amount of money found in the truck. Drug abuse would explain the erratic behavior. One specific theory is that the Jamesons saw illegal drug activity, saw more than they were supposed to, and were killed because of it. After searching the house, police found no evidence that they were taking meth or any other illegal substances. Just keeps getting strange. Bizarre, bizarre, bizarre. Now, another strange theory is that Bobby's dad killed the family. The family filed a protective order against Bobby's dad, Bob Dean Jameson, claiming that he threatened to kill them over some business dealings. In the protective order filed in April 2009, Bobby alleged that his father had intentionally hit him with a car on November 1st, 2008, and that he was a very dangerous man who thinks he is above the law, and that he was involved in prostitutes, gangs, and meth. Prior to his death, Bob Dean had a long-running feud with his son. It came to legal action when Bobby accused his father of backing out on an agreement to give him half the proceeds from the sale of a gas station he owned. Bob threatened the family, and there were also rumors he had connections to the Mexican mafia. Okay, so we have, well, this this supernatural. Yes. Can't forget that, because I almost forgot that with all the other crap going on. Yeah. Cults. Yes. Drugs. Mexican mafia. Yes. Okay, just want to make sure we're... (laughs) Caught up. Yes. Bobby's father died two months after the family went missing in December 2009 at the age of 64. And Bobby's uncle, Jack Jameson, said Bobby's dad was either in a hospital or a rest home at the time of the disappearance and that he was a disturbed individual but not capable of murder. Investigators said Bobby Dean had a solid alibi and dismissed him as a person of interest. Prior to the disappearance, a handyman and family friend called Kenneth Bellows stayed with the family. In August of 2009, after finding out that Sherilyn had Native American heritage, Bellows' white supremacist leanings were uncovered. 
Arguments between the two broke out and resulted in Sherilyn firing a 22 caliber pistol into the ground by his feet. Sherilyn pointed a gun at him and forced him to leave the house. The man had a solid alibi, so police dismissed him as a suspect, but it is at least possible he had true connections to white supremacists and that Sherilyn's name ended up on a hit list. More hit lists. More hit list, and now we have the white supremacist. So yeah. what, what group have we not included in this? Well, we're getting there. <laughs> the next theory was that the family was kidnapped by pedophiles. Perhaps the family was kidnapped so the kidnapper or kidnappers could get to Madison. When police examined Bobby's phone from the truck, they found a final picture of Madison taken up on the mountain. Friends and family believe it was not taken by Madison's parents. Quote, in the picture, Madison is looking away from the camera. She looks unhappy and she has her arms crossed. If that had been Bobby or Sherilyn behind the camera, she would not have looked like that. End quote. It is debatable whether she really looks unhappy enough to determine whether the photo proves anything. I did see this photo and I don't really see anything strange about it. It literally looks like a kid who is probably unhappy that she's hiking in mountains. Yeah, th this one seems like they're really grasping at straws. I don't think all these theories are by police. I think they're by people who want to solve oh, okay. the case. That explains a little bit of why Yeah, we have so many crazy theories yeah. running around. Yeah, I think a lot of them is, you know, because people have the need to help solve cases. This one, though, seems the craziest and out, the one most out there. Yeah. That, you know, there just doesn't seem to be any real evidence to even suggest pedophile was involved. Yeah, that's true. Well, the family had stated that the photo was weird. I don't, I don't know. I think they're even grasping at straws. How can you make such a judgment on a picture yeah, and I say that, oh, they wouldn't have taken it because she wouldn't have looked like that if they took it? Yeah, I think it was just because they were trying so hard to find something yeah. out of it. So uh, the final theory is witchcraft and possession. Finally. <laughs> So the family's pastor, Gary Brandon, told police during the initial investigation that the family had been involved in spiritual warfare and that both Bobby and Sherilyn had told him they had seen spirits at their home. Sherilyn said the spirits of a long-dead family lived with them. As I mentioned earlier, Bobby asked Gary whether he could obtain special bullets to shoot the spirits. He also said that he had consulted the Satanic Bible to rid the property of the evil presence. A witch's Bible was found in the house after their disappearance, and there were also the strange messages that were found written on the side of the container the family had planned to move into sitting outside their home. So those are the only thing that suggests witchcraft and possession were the spirits, and the message that was on the side of the container was mentioning that witches were unhappy about neighbors poisoning their cats this family disappeared and they were found four years later they're face down lined up all this weird stuff you, yeah. you think of what could have happened but then on top of that they had all this weird supernatural stuff going on in the house yeah and you you're thinking well how can this not be related yeah just really creepy but that's it there was not a real answer as to what happened which is really strange and sad. 
And I'm going to have to absorb this a little bit because I just, it's just so bizarre and there's so many aspects to it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I just don't know what to make of it. Yeah. yeah it's interesting. I had no idea you were doing this story. Yeah. <laughs> and then the story I came up with, not totally related, but a little bit in the supernatural part of it. Yeah. So tonight I am going to be talking about the strange story of Christopher Case. The strange case of Case. Yeah, I've never heard of this. I didn't either. I ran across this in a book on true ghost stories. After reading it, I couldn't believe I hadn't heard this story before just because it's so bizarre. It seemed like one of those stories that would be pretty well known. Yeah. And talked about a lot. So that's why I just I was surprised I never heard about it before. I thought it was so bizarre that I was actually wondering if it was an urban legend. Oh, that'd be interesting. Yeah. Well, it's always so confusing because I've had that before where I've heard like, wow, this is really creepy and weird. And then finding out that it's like either made up or an urban legend. Yeah, even in books I read, you know, because I'll read some things in books that are like just seem not right. Yeah. So I'll go double check and I'll find that, yeah, what they're saying in the book is totally off base. Yeah. So, yeah, kind of weird. Now, I certainly can't say any of my stories are extensively researched, <laughs> you know, but I did do some extra digging on this one to try and be certain, as certain as possible. Yeah. I will say that out of all of the stories I have researched so far, I think this one had the fewest discrepancies across all of the sources, huh. which was interesting because usually you'll find a lot of, you know, variations of a story. Yeah. The timeline events was probably the one thing that varied the most, but not too important in the overall story. Christopher Case grew up in Richmond, Virginia, and had a passion for music, especially music of ancient times. What is music of the ancient times? So, I mean, going way back into, you know, Egypt, Mesopotamia, whatever, I don't know, way back when. I don't want to offend anyone because I'm not educated on this stuff, but what are they like banging rocks? <laughs> like, I know, yeah, music has been around throughout the ages. Yeah. No idea what kind of state it was in at that time. I'll leave it at that. I guess that's interesting, though. I've never yeah. heard of someone having a specific interest like that far back in music. Yeah. He was a radio DJ before deciding to move to Seattle in his early 30s to further his career in the music industry and went to work for the Muzak Holdings Company. Chris traveled all over the country for his work, and although he had some close friends, he is said to have not socialized much and preferred to focus on his love of music. It is also worth mentioning, because it does factor in later, Chris was serious about his exercising and took many daily vitamin supplements. Huh. I'll circle back on that. Okay. On April 11, 1991, Chris traveled to San Francisco on a business trip to meet with music industry executives. During the trip, Chris was introduced to a woman. It was noted that she seemed to be about 20 years older than him. Sharing his interest in music of the ancient worlds, they spent time together talking. The woman started coming on to him and apparently got pretty intense about it. It got to the point where Chris decided to politely shut her down and part ways. That apparently pissed her off, and she told Chris she was a witch, and she was going to place a curse on him, 
She told him he would be dead within a week. Oh my gosh. Yeah, that's intense. So we have another witch. Yes. That's concerning. I don't even know how to react to that. You mean you don't know how to react to the story or if somebody told you that? <laughs> well, both. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if I'd believe someone, but then I'd be kind of scared to not believe <laughs> them. <laughs> yeah. Chris, not being religious and not one to buy into the supernatural, just dismissed the whole situation as odd. That makes sense. When he returned home, he told a friend about the weird encounter, but she also dismissed it. On April 14, Chris called the same friend and told her he was unable to sleep the night before because he heard whispering voices coming from somewhere inside his apartment. And out of the corners of his eyes, he kept seeing shadows moving around. He felt like he was being watched and started to question whether the curse was real. I don't know if at that point I would question if the curse was real or I would think it was in my head. Like, I'm not trying to dismiss the experience, but if it were me personally, I feel like I would be thinking that it was already in my head that there was a curse on me. Yeah. I mean, wouldn't you start to wonder at least whether it was yeah in your head or was the actual curse? Yeah, I guess I would. Now, I, I, t I talk about a friend he was in contact with, but I read that he had phoned numerous friends over the following days to talk about what was going on. So, yeah, That makes sense. Yeah. Over the next few days, Chris progressively became more panicked and began expressing that he feared for his life, at one point telling them he was sure he would be dead by the end of the week. I'd be concerned being on the other end hearing someone talk about stuff like that. Yeah. And these friends were back in his hometown. Yeah, that makes it worse. Like I was going to say, because one of him saying stuff like that and not really knowing what to do, but then you're further away, so it's not like you can be there to comfort him. Yeah. That's got to be horrible. On April 16, he told a friend that he was attacked overnight, waking up to feel hands on his throat, and in the morning he found blood on the sheets and tiny cuts on the tips of his fingers. Ugh. One story I read said he mentioned he was paralyzed and was lifted off his bed during that attack. Oh my gosh. Anytime I hear something like that, which is common in alien abduction stories, I think of sleep paralysis. Oh, I was thinking of in Ghostbusters, her levitating over oh. the bed. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I was thinking, you know, and I'm not, not, again, not, not discounting the story. It's just, you know, I do suffer from that. Yeah. And it usually is triggered from stress and being overtired. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, and you do experience a lot of weird things. See, I've only had sleep paralysis once, knock on wood. There's like the little superstition thing. But yeah, I remember when I first had it, I genuinely thought the things that were happening during it were actually happening in real life. So I can see how that could be a sleep paralysis thing. Yeah, now, this is a tiny bit of the story. So, again, not discrediting yeah, no. any of it, but not all of the sources mentioned the levitation. So, I'm just wondering if this isn't actually part of the story. But I, yeah. I guess if he was killed by a witch, levitating isn't too crazy, right? That's true. That day, he went to a religious bookstore and purchased numerous crosses. Curious about the purchase, the owner asked him why he needed them. Chris explained his situation and said he was trying to defend himself. 
The owner recommended some books on protecting against witchcraft. Now, I was going to say, kind of rude that the owner was asking why you needed all those crosses. I feel like that's kind of invasive. But I guess if he recommended books on how to protect against witchcraft, it helps. I was Yeah, I was wondering the, the same thing about him questioning it, but I guess, you know, maybe not too many people come in and buy a handful of crosses. Yeah. So maybe that's why he just, he was just asking. I feel like I'd be afraid to ask. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah, I don't know if I'd, I'd bring it up, but I mean, you're, you know, that's your business. Somebody comes in or, does, you know, wants to buy a bunch of crosses. Yeah. You're curious. The cynical side of me thinks, well, he was just upselling. <laughs> right? He, he got him to buy some books. That's true. That's true. But, you know, then on the other side, it's like, okay, well, he was trying to help. Yeah. It is not known what happened that night because Chris did not discuss the details with his friends, but it is known that sometime during the night, Chris went to stay at a hotel. Wow. I wonder what happened for the fact that he wouldn't discuss it. Well, I, I think you'll see as the events progress that there was just not time. Okay. Okay. Yeah. A friend attempted to reach him the next morning, but being unsuccessful, they phoned the police in his area requesting they do a welfare check. The police found his apartment locked and nothing suspicious, so they left. When Chris's friend got home that evening, she had a message from Chris on her answering machine. Answering machine seems like such an odd term these days. Yeah, that's so old. Yeah. I guess for at the time. <laughs> yeah. it's, 91, it's just yeah. you, don't, you don't really hear that term very often anymore. <laughs> I want to kind of go back to the friends requesting a welfare check and the guy didn't even answer, but they left anyways. Well, what are they going to do? I mean, he's not home. It doesn't answer or he doesn't answer. But how do they know if something didn't happen inside? Uh, well, I guess if it was an apartment, you, you would think they could go to the superintendent and ask them to open the, the apartment. Yeah. yeah. That, that seems like more reasonable that that would have happened. Yeah. That they would have asked. But I don't know what the police procedures are, so. That's true. On the message, Chris was described as sounding resigned to what was happening. He said they had almost gotten him the previous night, and he believed he would not survive another night. That day, Chris went to see a Catholic priest, and he paid another visit to the religious bookstore seeking more help in defending himself. I had read that the police went to the apartment on three different occasions. This is one of those areas where the timeline wasn't completely clear. Yeah. The first two times, his place was locked up and nothing seemed suspicious, so they left. The third time they went, the door was unlocked. I'm assuming this was on the morning of April 18. Is April 18 significant? Yes. Okay. There were no signs of a struggle or forced entry. They found many crucifixes and candles throughout the apartment. Along with the books Chris had purchased, they found notes about combating evil scattered around. Salt was poured across the doorway and along the baseboards. One report said that salt was poured in what was described as geometric patterns on the porch. Religious music was also playing quietly in the apartment. I feel like that's a very eerie scene to walk into. Yes, that would definitely be creepy. It's like a horror movie. Mm -hmm. Chris's body was found in his empty bathtub. He was in a kneeling position, fully clothed, his head resting against the wall. He oh. was only 35 years old. That's so sad. Yeah. 
Yeah, so sad and bizarre. Yeah. The coroner determined he had died of heart failure. Cause of death was determined to be myocarditis, which is a rare disease that causes inflammation of the heart, usually the result of a viral infection, and can lead to a stroke or heart attack. It is most common in people between the ages of 20 and 40. In this case, there was speculation of a link between man-made supplements, such as vitamins and steroids. That's why I mentioned about his his habit of taking the daily vitamin supplements. That's not terrifying. Yeah. I feel like that's still weird of like the position he was found, though. Yeah, honestly, I think that cause of death is kind of stretching it. Yeah. I mean, it it certainly could have been myocarditis, but... That doesn't eliminate the possibility that something supernatural was going on. Just a really big coincidence. Well, and, and a witch could certainly make the cause of death look like anything they wanted to, right? Yeah. That's the way I look at it. And there are a few odd things about the cause of death, like other symptoms of the disease include chest pains, difficulty breathing, and general fatigue. And the sufferer will often display flu-like symptoms in the weeks leading up to their death. But there were no signs Chris experienced any of that. Hmm. On top of that, Chris was told by someone that he was cursed and would die within a week. He predicted that he was going to die that you know that night that he did. Yeah. It just seems too coincidental that he had this rare heart condition and died from it when he predicted this was going to happen and he had this incident with this alleged witch. Yeah. Well... Is it also weird that the first two times they went to check on the place, it was locked, and the third time the door was unlocked? If that's when they found him? Yeah, who knows what happened that last night. Yeah. he came home and didn't lock his door or whatever. Yeah. Unless you're speculating there was something else amiss. Well, that too. Maybe the witch was there. Or he was such in such a disarray that, you know, he came home that evening and didn't lock his door. That's true. I mean, it is it is an odd factor, right? You would think if he was afraid of something happening, even though a lock probably wouldn't do much, yeah, that you'd still tend to lock your door, right? I feel like it's that like sense of security. Yeah, definitely an odd part of the puzzle. Other than the witch, the only thing that makes sense to me is he scared himself to death. That's what I was thinking when you mentioned the heart. I was thinking that maybe he just scared himself to death. Yeah, I can see that. Just some final notes. Uh, There was no mention that I could find of the supplements or if he had changed any recently. Yeah. Like he was taking something new and that caused the heart problems. Yeah. And I also didn't see anything about whether they even investigated that aspect of the story. Why wouldn't they investigate? It was the same thing with the, the woman that he met. Yeah. There was no effort that I could see to track her down. That's weird. But if the police felt it was an open and check case, you know, if the coroner said, well, yes, he died from a heart disease, I could see where they wouldn't spend a lot of time investigating these oddities. I guess. Now, I'm surprised that nobody else out there has taken the time. Yeah, because it's just so bizarre. And like, if it was the heart disease, it's just a really bizarre coincidence. Yeah, I'm, I'm not buying the heart disease thing. Yeah. I could see the scaring himself to death, but I'm leaning towards the witch. Yeah. Well, also, if it was a heart disease, 
from the supplements he was taking, why was there no mention about the supplements causing that? I don't know if there's, you know, there's any scientific evidence or research into these, you know, medications and supplements causing this, or it's just speculation. Yeah. And if it's just speculation, I could see where the police wouldn't spend much time looking into it. That's true. But a very sad story that I believe is true. Yeah. It's bizarre. Yes. It, yeah, it's very bizarre. It's like really hard to wrap my head around <laughs> around it because it's just so bizarre. As was your story. I know. We both had really crazy, bizarre stories involving witchcraft. Yes. Weird. But that was it. Thank you very much for joining us. Make sure to visit next week for more weird and creepy stories. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at 12past3 or email us at podcast at 12past3.com. Good night. Good night.